Hey, Reach Paramount. Welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from our midweek service with Pastor Rob Santiago in a message entitled, Redeemed by His Oath. Enjoy this message. Amen. Man, I'm excited to be here tonight. I hope you guys are. I want to welcome all of you. Welcome to our midweek service. For those of you that are joining us online, welcome. This is what we do on Wednesday nights. We worship God. We get a little crazy. We dance. We sing. And we read God's Word. And then we do it all over again. Amen. But I'm just I'm just blessed to be here. I want to thank my pastors for giving me the opportunity to speak. And, and you know, I'm just really enjoying what God is doing through this series. This series of, of, of Redeemed. And when you really think about that word, it's a heavy word, man. Because in order to be redeemed, you have to understand that you've been fractured to some form. Meaning you've hit rock bottom or if you've fallen or just if something's not right that you need to make it up. And we need a savior to help us do that. And that's really what the word redeemed is about when we're talking about it from this pulpit. And before I begin and before I get any further... I just want to pray. So if you just bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would meet us in this place. Lord, that you would use me as your vessel. And as I read your word, Father, I ask that it would resonate with your people. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. I thank you for your redemption, your love, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. This past Saturday, I was, um, I came to prayer, uh, our 8 a.m. prayer, and I, I told my wife, hey, I'm on my way home, but I need to stop off first, and I need to get some gas. And how many of you know gas is, like, really high right now, the prices, right? But, you know, I, I've, you know, my truck, I love my truck, right? And I, I told myself, I'm only going to put really expensive gas in my truck, right? <laughs> Starting to question my own decision there. But I, I started, I, I, remember, I was starting down the road, and I just started thinking, you know, I was zoning out a little bit on the road, just thinking about everything, and I realized I took the wrong, I kind of took a wrong turn, just a different way home. And I, I realized that my wife would always tell me, like, you should go to this gas station down the street, because it's, it's actually really cheap. And when, I, when she would tell me that, I'm like, I don't know, man, I don't really like that brand of gas. You know, I don't, I don't really like that, you know. I'm not going to say the brand, you know, I really want to, but I'm not going to do that, okay, but you can get Slurpees there too, um, you still don't know what brand it is, okay, um, <laughs> but you know, I, and I'm like, well, you know, there's, there's that gas station my wife told me to go to, and I'm like, uh, and there's nobody there, I'm like, this is beautiful, it's about 9.30 in the morning, you know, I got the whole gas station to myself. So I pull in, right? I start pumping gas and suddenly I see somebody and he sees me. And then I'm like, oh man, God. And, and I could tell this guy, he, 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 he looked homeless, okay? And I'm like, Lord, if you want me to talk to this guy, like, just tell me, okay? And so I'm by the pump, you know, I'm hanging out by the car. I got the radio going on. And uh, all of a sudden he starts walking towards me. And the first thing he says to me, the very first thing is, do you know God? And I look at him like, I know God. And I go, do you know God? <laughs> this is where the conversation got interesting. He goes, yeah, I do. 
Chuck Smith used to be my pastor. If you don't know who Chuck Smith is, he started the Calvary Chapel movement. I mean, he's a big name, okay? And so there's major legacy with that name. And so he begins to tell me, you know, he's kind of mumbling a little bit, very difficult to understand. And so I finally just tell him, like, you know, I'm done pumping gas, but I finally go up to him and I tell him, I said, hey, listen, I'm a pastor. And um, what's going on with you? You know, you told me that you're... You, you, you've heard the word of God and you, you've known all this stuff. You've known Chuck Smith. He was your pastor. And, you know, that's a powerful name that you just dropped there. What happened to you, man? What's going on? So I talked to him like a brother in Christ, you know. And so he goes, look, man, I just need prayer, this and that. My life's all messed up. I didn't really catch everything he was saying. He was talking too fast. Couldn't really make it out. And I said, listen, I, I want to pray with you. Can I just pray with you? And he goes, yeah, but can you just make it quick? This is where it got real interesting. I said, do, I said, do you know you're talking to a pastor? I said, we're going to pray. And I'm going to go as long as I want in this prayer because I'm praying for you. I said, you don't decide how long the prayer is, all right? I, I knew his name. I started, we started talking. I started using his name with him. I said, you don't decide that. I'm going to decide that. Now you tell me what you want prayer for. So he begins to tell me some things and what he wants prayer for. And then I begin praying for him, but he's not really reciprocating the prayer. Like, he's not really receiving it. You know, he's kind of like this. You know, and I'm realizing, man, this guy just doesn't, he doesn't want it. Like, I think he just wanted to maybe use God so I can help him. And then he found out I was a pastor and that changed everything. And he found out that I'm not really messing around with this stuff. And so, you know, he, then he got really short, you know, with me. I stopped the prayer early on, you know, and I'm just like, I'm looking at him like, I told him, you need to get back into church. I, and, and then he, he finally says, what church do you go to? And I gave, I told him the church I went to. And I, I gave him the address. I go, I go to this church. Like, well, it's really far, you know. And I'm like, man, I live 18 minutes away. This is right down the street from me. You know, this isn't far. If, you got, if you're going to complain about going, you know, 18 minutes to hear the word of God, you got issues. But I, he started to tell me, you know, like, I, he told, look, I just need to get to the, you know, to the tram station. I got to go. He almost felt like he was upset that I prayed with him. And I started to realize we want all the good things that Christ offers through this redemption. We want that God will provide. We want that God will bless us. We want that God will rescue us. But we won't put in the work to get it. We want it, right? But we won't put in the work to receive that. There, there is work to this. There's work to everything that we do on this pulpit. Everything that we do when we begin to preach and pray. Even in prayer service, your leaders, when they're up here praying, leader prayer service, there is a preparation that takes place in order for them to do that. Their life has to be a life of preparedness spiritually. And I want to talk about tonight, I want to talk about Abraham and Isaac. And I know a lot of us are like, I know that story, you know, I'm, I know it really well. And that's great and all, but I'm going to try to bring out some things tonight. Because in church we read the Bible and we'll read things over and over and over because it's a living text and God begins to move through all of it. It doesn't matter that you read it three years ago. That probably means it's expired in your mind. You should read it again. 
okay? You should go back to these things. But the, Abra- the Abrahamic covenant is what I want to focus on tonight. And really the Abrahamic covenant is mentioned several times in scripture, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But the first time it's mentioned is in Genesis chapter 12. Remember that number 12. Okay, Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 2, it says this, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Yes, there it is. We take that and we say, okay, look, God is a good, he's a good God. Do whatever I want, he's going to bless me. I could do all these things. He's going to bless me. He's going to remain in that. And I feel like even when I talk to other believers, not believers in this church, but just believers I meet outside the church, I run into them and they want to talk about the blessing. When I'm really like, you want to talk about the atonement? Do you want to talk about the death and resurrection? Let's talk about that. It's like, well, that's the ugly part of the Bible. You know, it gets kind of bloody. I said... You know, I, I'll walk into barbershops. You know, people, yeah, you know, I go to church. And, and I'm like, but do you really follow the things that are being said? Or are you just, you just want this blessing that the Bible talks about that you think is for you? See, when this was put into place, when God put this into place with Abraham, he literally set up a river of promise that birth the ultimate redeemer. Now let me explain. This covenant goes all the way to us today. This covenant affects everything in the kingdom. We are God's people. And because of this covenant, that line, that bloodline, it gives us Jesus. And because of that covenant, God doesn't break his promise. Now let's continue on. We want that God will provide, we want that he will bless us, and we want that he will rescue us in every aspect of our life. But all this does come at a price. See, being redeemed, is this is a simple definition, is to compensate for the faults and bad or bad aspects of something. We have faults. We all have faults. I have faults. I have to recognize that these faults are faults. They are issues. They are problems in my spiritual life that I probably should take care of. That's why it's a packed house tonight. Because I believe there's people in here that know they have to take care of some things. The church is filled with people looking for healing. We're not perfect. Nobody's perfect in this house. Nobody's perfect watching online. We are not perfect. We have these faults. So therefore, we should want to be redeemed of these faults. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1 through 2, it's talking about Jacob. It says this, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. I love this because when I think about Jesus, I feel like it puffs me up a little bit. 
because I understand the promises of God. But I also understand that I have to continually understand what I'm dealing with, my faults, putting them at God's feet so that I may be redeemed. See, I want to be redeemed by something that gives me that kind of confidence. You ever mess up in life and you're, and you're just like, it gets you down? Right? You go through things and you realize, oh man, I messed up big time. And you're just, you're kind of like messed up a little bit. You know, you start doubting yourself. Should I, should I go to church? Should I pray? Am I right? Like, should I be around holy people? Should I be? And these are just lies that begin to creep up inside of you. When in reality, this is what God wants. See, your actions can play a role in how God responds to your circumstance. Now, I want to read Genesis chapter 22. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there or your apps. We're going to stay in here tonight in Genesis chapter 22. And I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture. But I promise you it's fun, okay? It's, this is really good stuff. It's a great story, okay? And so what's happening here is Abraham finally has a son. His son is Isaac. This son was a son of a promise, a covenant. This son was supposed to be the guy, right? And so Sarah was barren for many, many years. And all of a sudden, you know, they're able to give birth to this son and they're just elated. They are so happy. And he's such a good boy. But let's pick it up. This is what happens. This is what God tells Abraham to do with his son. In Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took, a, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Now let's pause there. Don't read on. Let's just recap what's taking place. God tells Abraham a simple, he gives them a simple instruction, but it's difficult to go through with it. The instruction is to take the son that I promised you, that your wife was barren with, take that son and let's go kill him. This is a tough thing to understand, but there's a reason why this is taking place. So as they're beginning to walk, his son asks, simple question, hey, uh, Dad, worse. We got everything else. He's taking inventory. He's taking inventory, like Pastor Isaac says, right? He's taking inventory. He's realizing, 
And Isaac's like, okay, well, I know there needs to be a sacrifice, but I guess we'll, you know what, Pop, we'll keep going then. All right, we'll do this. Verse 9, let's read together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is to this day on the Mount of the Lord, it shall, be, it shall be provided. See, what was taking place here is God was trying to communicate something to Abraham. And I love this because that's what God wants to do with us. He's going to challenge us in certain aspects of our spirituality and we have to respond accordingly. See, an ingredient of redemption, if you want redemption, it requires trust. It requires trust. In order to find redemption, you have to trust that the redemption is coming. Understand this, that, that, that trust is the common denominator in the story that I just read to you. Abraham trusted God. Isaac trusted his father. There's a lot to be said there. This is a big part of the equation. Imagine what Isaac picked up from his father. We see that Abraham was a man of faith. He was going to respond. He was going to do exactly what God had told him to do. But I look at how did Isaac understand what to do? Where did Isaac get this trust? Where did Isaac understand all this? Why was he following his father so well? Because if it was me, I would have ran. But Isaac church, Isaac, for some reason, knew at that moment that God was up to something and that his dad was up to something and he wanted to be a part of it. He remained faithful. I can only imagine, as the scripture tells us, as he's being bound by his father to the actual altar. It's not something, church, it's not something that was just an accident. But as he's being bound there, that the scripture tells us that Abraham was going completely through it. As he's being bound there, Isaac was there. He was ready to do it. I can only imagine that Isaac picked this up from his father. That he probably looked at his father and saw the faithfulness that his dad had. Not in this circumstance, but in the circumstances before. See church, I'm here to tell you that everyone's watching you. Your disciples are watching you. Your children are watching you. How you react changes everything in your household. Your spouse is watching you. Your people at work, your coworkers are watching you. How you respond to these things is critical in life. And Isaac was a part of that. The other thing is I look at Abraham and I'm realizing Isaac was this promised son 
And now he is a sacrifice. This is something they've been longing for. They were trying to have children, but Sarah was barren. And all of a sudden, now that Isaac's of age, he can help out by carrying wood. He can help build the altar. Now is the time to sacrifice him. You can only imagine that Abraham, what he was thinking is, God, that don't make no sense. This is exactly what we wanted. And now you're going to take it away from me. You guys ever pray for something that you've always wanted? And then you got it? And then imagine God telling you, you need to get away from that. This is exactly how Abraham felt. This is something I prayed for, Lord. This is something I believed in, that you would give me my son. And now that I have my son, I need to kill him? See, church, sometimes things don't, don't need to make sense. To go. It don't need to make sense. And I think a lot of us, we try to say, you know what, I don't know if that makes sense, so therefore I'm not going to do it. It doesn't need to make sense. I think a lot of us, when, when we receive Christ, right, we go into church and we realize, well, it doesn't really make sense. And everything needs to add up in order for it to, you know, because that's the scientific method and science is, you know, uh, I'm not going to go there. But, you know, the thing about it is, church, it doesn't have to make sense. It's like, hey, God, I have my plan, and uh, you're going to come along with me, right? No. You're gonna, you're gonna, God's telling you, you're going to come along with me. You're going to follow me. I'm not going to follow you. You're, you're going to follow me. And, and here's, and it, is, that, is that not the cost? Is that not the cost? We want, we want to be rescued. We want the blessings that are promised to us, right? And we want all these things in life. We want the redemption, but it requires work. It requires you putting trust in him. See, I want to make something clear is that God did not tempt Abraham, but he did test their commitment to him. And in your walk, you will be tested. You will be tested. If God is testing Abraham, how much more is he going to test you? In Psalms chapter 37, verse 5, it says, Commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. I remember when I, my, I, may, I think I may have told this story before here. I remember I, my, my grandfather got really sick, and we didn't know what, was, what, what his problem was, and I was in high school. And I remember I wasn't saved. Okay, I wasn't born saved. Um, I was in high school. I have a past, okay? I was in high school, and he, he got really sick, and I remember crying out to God. And I'm saying, God, please heal him. Please do this. Just heal him. And I'm like, man, I don't even know God, and I'm praying to him. You know, I don't know him like that, but I'm expecting him to move. And I, did, I didn't understand, like, what that meant, you know? Like, and I'm, I'm realizing God did heal my grandfather. I don't know if it was because I prayed. I know other people were praying for him. But God in that moment did heal my grandfather. And I remember like, oh man, that's amazing. You know, and I, I realized, oh, hey God, thanks a lot, man. And I <laughs> went around my way, you know, like dodged a bullet there. Lord, thank you, man. Came through. Thank you, bro. But that's how we treat God sometimes. See, let me, let me explain something to you. Your commitment level needs to be beyond your understanding. It needs to be beyond your understanding. 
In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. That's complete trust in him. But church, there's more. There's more. In order to receive complete redemption, we must have a fear for God. And this concept blew my mind. Because I realized, like, I'm not scared of God. He walks with me, man. When I first got saved, you know. Then I realized, you know, God is sovereign. And that's what we should fear, his sovereignty. I'm going to tell you another story. In 1988, I was five years old. You can date me now, okay? Great. I was five years old. Good looking little guy. But in 1988, I grew up in the Bay Area. 1988 was a bad year. Okay, oh, okay. Oh, I'm not a Niner fan though. Sorry, man. It's the whole thing. I love you though, okay? It's, um, 1988. I grew up in the Bay Area, and I remember as I was five years old, I was into baseball. The World Series was going on. I think it was the Giants versus the A's. It was a big deal, okay? Big deal in the Bay Area. I mean, everybody's getting off work early to go to the game. And all of a sudden, there was this huge earthquake. It was a 6.9 on the Richter scale. It lasted 15 seconds. That was the first time I really felt fear and trauma. At five years old, I, the ground is shaking for literally 15 seconds. And I'll never forget this. I ran so fast out of my bedroom. I ran underneath my grandmother's table and I started crying because I was so scared about what was to happen. Then the power goes out. And when the power goes out, I remember my grandfather got this little trend, this little radio, right? The AM, FM radios. So we can, because the power is out. And I remember I ran outside. I saw my friends on the block. And, and they were like, dude, what's going on? And they've been crying too. So I felt better about crying. <laughs> I said, what is going on, man? This is, this is terrible. And I remember someone down the block said, someone said this, God allowed this to happen. And I'm like, what? I'm five years old. Why on earth would he do that? This is awful. I don't ever want to see this ever again happen to me. I remember just shaking, man, that night. I, I mean, it was so scary at that age, you know, to, to go through something like that. And uh, I remember the power came back on and the news just kept showing the devastation, how the World Series had to be paused. And, and, and for a moment, everything was just kind of frozen in the Bay Area. And then we got to hear that 63 people died and, 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 and even like a bridge collapsed on itself. I think it was a Bay Bridge. And I remember seeing the footage of people just stopping everything and realizing we just need to help each other because it's complete mayhem. I was traumatized. The next earthquake that happened, of course, I cried again. <laughs> you know, it was difficult. You know, I went through trauma, but then I realized what that person said stuck with me. Why would God allow something like this to take place? And then I, as I got older, I realized how sovereign God is. How we don't need to understand everything. And how we don't, you know, we, we need to just fear him. 
And in those moments when we don't understand, we should be in prayer. We should be asking him what's going on. We should be talking to him. We should be with our brothers and sisters praying for our city and praying for those things. I didn't know that back then, but I wish I did because maybe I wouldn't have had the trauma of of going through this event. And And you just realize that fearing God is just better that way. Because when you begin to fear him, you actually begin to make decisions based on that. In other words, I don't want to mess up because God is doing something with my life. And he is sovereign. He's going to punish me if I mess up. Sometimes I don't like to think of that. But God will do that. Okay, and so you begin to develop this fear for him. And I, I found this scripture in Isaiah chapter 45. God is kind of describing himself here. Look what God says about himself. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down on righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them to both cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. See, the fact that God is sovereign essentially means that he has the power, the wisdom, and the authority to do anything he chooses with his creation. He could do anything he wants. That's why I fear him. That's why when I come to the altar, I realize I'm in the power and in the presence of the king. It changes the way you worship. It changes the way you run your household. When you begin to fear God, you guys ever say this? Hey, my kids are going to serve the Lord. I'm not raising no demons in my house. And I'm really just looking out for myself. Like, God, no, I'm going to make it holy, God, don't worry. You know? It's like, God, no, I understand your sovereignty, man. Don't take it out on me. You know? But then I think about... Abraham, what a good father he must have been. That his son just caught it. His son understood, I need to make the altar. Because this is what God wants. And I don't have to understand it. I just need to trust in him. I need to fear him. See, let God be your greatest fear and not the world. I remember growing, you know, just becoming like a man, right? Moving away from home. I remember telling myself... Man, I'm so scared if I don't get the right job, you know, like, how am I going to pay my bills? I'm gonna, if I don't, you know, if I don't finish this program at school, you know, I'm going to become a failure. And it's like, I was just putting everything first before God. And I found out that when you fear God, you'll find out that there are good consequences in your life because you just fear him. You operate and you walk fearing him. Every decision you make is based on that fear that he is sovereign. In Genesis chapter 22, I love this. We, we pick it up in, in over oh, seven through eight. It says, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went, both, so they went both of them together. This conversation between Abraham and Isaac is an interesting one. I can only imagine when he's telling his son, he's probably something like this. You're asking really good questions. Where is that lamb that God promised? Where is the sacrifice? 
And he's probably saying, I'm pretty sure he has some fear. But you know what he has as well? Is he has, he has that obedience. He has that obedience, church. In Genesis 22, 15 through 18, this is what ends up happening. It says, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because of you, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. Listen to these words in 17, verse 17. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Talking about Jesus. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is the second time we hear about the Abrahamic covenant. The first time was in Genesis chapter 12. The second time is now in Genesis chapter 22. See, church, one thing that Abraham had was he had blind obedience. And through that blind obedience, it activated a promise. But not just activated it, God repeated it. God repeated the promise to him because of his faithfulness. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, it says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the, nation, all the nations of the earth. See, it was this obedience. And I love that Abraham, as he had two other people with him, if you didn't catch it, he told him to stay with the donkey. You know what he tells him? He says this to them in Genesis chapter 5, verse, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. It says, Then Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and then worship and then come again to you. Before he sees the hill, he realizes that's the place the Lord wants me to sacrifice my son. He had confidence. He had faith. He had obedience. He knew God was going to deliver. He knew God was going to take care of that sacrifice. He knew that he was going to redeem Isaac. He knew that he was going to redeem him. He's just going to continue with the blind obedience. Continue. He's not going to ask any questions. He's going to continue with the actual directions. And he begins to lay out the instructions. See, some of us want the promises of God without the obedience, church. We want all the good things. We want it all. But we don't want to give the obedience. We don't want to give the trust. We don't want to give the time. Are you ready to trust God? Because let me tell you something. Right now, a lot of us are being prepared for a promise. And it's a promise that is greater than the situation that you're in now. It's a promise that is greater than this room. It's a promise greater than any situation you will ever go through. God is saying, yeah, I can be your refuge. I could be your redeemer. I could be your blessing. But honestly, it's going to take a price. You're going to have to trust you're going to have to remain obedient and you're going to have to and you're going to have to ride on with me. You're going to have to keep going on and you have to fear me. See, there's something that takes place. There's even more to this story. 
But there's something that takes place. You guys ever see when a leader in the United States is sworn into public office? They do something called, they take an oath. I can have the worship team come up, you guys, it's okay. They take an oath. And, this, and, then, and really, what happens is they grab the Bible, right? This is, this happens often. Some people don't like to do it, but when they, they take an oath. And this oath is an important oath. As a matter of fact, if you break that oath, you can end up in the Supreme Court. The highest law of the land. If you break that oath. But see, God is doing something. When he begins to repeat that promise, when he begins to mention that I will surely bless you, I will surely give you nations amongst the stars, I will surely make your offspring great. He's talking about Jesus, but he repeats it. God repeats it to him. And I love this, that the author in Hebrews He says this in chapter 6. He talks about this. He says, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now when people take an oath... They call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. In the United States, they use the Bible. And without any question, that oath is binding. In verse 17, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in in the order of Melchizedek. There is something greater with that promise. See, when when God begins to, to, to say, surely, I will make you great. I will make your name great. Nations will come out of you. And he begins to say that and use that word, surely. Literally, what God is saying is, I am presenting myself as an oath and a promise. And it's stamped by my sovereignty. In other words, Abraham, you did so good. You followed my instructions exactly. You went through everything that was planned and you did it perfectly. You trusted in me and now I trust you. I'm not gonna break this promise. I'm gonna continue to bless you and I'm gonna stamp it with my sovereignty. In other words, if he were to break this promise, God would challenge his sovereignty. He would literally compromise it. Because that oath was given, not only does he give him the promise in Genesis chapter 12, then he takes an oath. See, what you do can cause God to move in your life. 
If you can trust him, if you can fear him and you obey him, his promises are here. But let me tell you, church, you need to commit to him. Everything that Abraham did involves commitment. And sometimes you may not understand it. It may be challenging for you. It may be hard to digest what God is asking you to do. But I'm telling you, if you follow in the promises of God, your life will be better. And I think a lot of us, we, we are scared to relinquish this trust to him. We are scared that he would maybe somehow let us down. Can I be honest with you? You're fearing the world or you're not fearing God. You're worried about a circumstance that he could fix just like that. And some of you in here, you're dealing with stuff. You're dealing with a circumstance. You're dealing with things. And, and honestly, you're not, you're not giving it your all. But you're expecting God to rescue you. What, the expectation that God has are these things. There's a price for that. There's a price for these promises. You know, it pains me when I see people casually in Christianity. Yeah, I serve God Easter. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be at church. Yeah, you know, I love him. You know, I got a painting of him in my garage. That pains me though. Like, what do you mean you got a painting of him in your garage? Like what? That isn't going to save you. Do you really know him? Or are you like the guy that I prayed for at the gas station? Can you make it quick? Is church almost done? God, I got things to do, God. You got to speed this up. Why are you moving? God, don't move right now, man. I'm hungry. I, if, that, if that's you, I think you need to be at the altar tonight. Because our God is demanding something great from us. And we see this relationship. When you have a good relationship with God, a lot of us are walking proof of this. God just begins to take care of everything. Let me be honest with you. All those worries, everything. God just begins to take care of things. You worried about losing your job? Come to prayer on Saturdays and let's pray for it. You know, you, you, worried, you worried that you know, your marriage is on the rocks? You know, are you praying together? Are you working through it? You put God in your relationship yet? Because this is, this is honestly, church, this is where God wants, this proves that God wants a relationship with us. So much as he got excited when he saw what Abraham did. Okay, stop. You're going to do it. You're going to kill your son. Stop. I can only imagine what, how that made God feel. And I was almost like, oh my gosh, he, he trusts me. He trusts me. And what ends up happening is a ram comes out and Isaac's redeemed. And it's because of their trust and faith in the father. And so a lot of us, we call that, a lot of scholars call that the substitutionary sacrifice. You know who else substituted for us? Jesus. Our God loves to redeem. He loves to redeem. But do you like it? But do you want it? Do you want to be redeemed? Even when you fall, you stumble, do you want to be redeemed? This is why we come to the altar. This is why we, we make the call. It's not just for new believers. 
It's for everybody. Everybody that wants to be redeemed. Everybody that wants a touch from God. To feel his presence. This is why we do what we do. So if I gotta have every head bowed and every eye closed. In Psalms 118 verse 8. The psalmist writes this. He says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. I know a lot of people, man, we put our trust in humans all the time. Other people. You know, but I can be honest with you. You could trust God. Some of you are holding on to, you know, relying on people to get through life and relying on these things. You know, the Bible calls us to be self-sufficient so that we can call on God with our problems, our circumstances. And maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, you know what, I, I, I've never accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And I'm here to tell you this is the most important part of the service because I want to give you an opportunity to accept Him. Maybe you haven't made that commitment. You haven't reached out and said, God, I want to be more you know, in tune with you. God, I want you to direct my life instead of me direct my life. God, I want you to come into my life and forgive me for my sins. If that's you and you have not asked God to do that, I want you to lift your hands. And I'm here to tell you, church, I see those hands. You can put it down. God bless you. God bless you. And I'm here to tell you, church, that this is an opportunity that you don't want to pass up. Maybe you're sitting there and you're feeling the heaviness on your heart. Maybe a little anxiety because I'm, I'm saying this just because I'm speaking it. That is not me telling you something. That is the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, telling you to come. And I don't want to pass this opportunity. If that's you, could you just lift your hands? Is there anyone else that would like to join? I see that hand back there. God bless you. Don't pass up the opportunity to get right with God, to make things right, to feel his redemption. It doesn't matter that you have to make sense of it. It doesn't matter where you are in life. Don't wait for a moment or a circumstance. Like, oh, I got to get this right first before I come to the altar. God will take you as you are. Is there anyone else? I see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Come on, church. I see that hand. God bless you. I know there's more. There's a promise waiting for you. Don't pass up this opportunity for redemption. This was part of his plan. His plan was to save us, to redeem us. And I know a lot of us, we, don't, we come here, we don't want to go to hell. And I don't want any of you to go to hell. But hell's a real place. If you want to be redeemed from that, just lift your hands. Anyone else? I see that hand. God bless you. You can put it down. Amen. For those of you that raised your hand, I want to do one other thing. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you talk in the mic or anything. But what we want to do is we want to pray with you. So if you lift up your hand, would you just come to the front? Look up at me, those of you that lifted your hand. Just come to the front. Is there anyone else? I know there was more. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. The clapping is because we're celebrating. Anyone else? Come on, let's get. There's more coming, church. There's more coming. How you doing, my brother? God bless you guys. Amen. 
listen, we take this very seriously and we're celebrating. We're celebrating because you, you know what? Hell lost another one. And they are free. But we celebrate this. We celebrate salvation because I made the same commitment and it changed my life. Completely turned me upside down for the good. And I'm just, I, I'm just so thankful that you guys made that commitment. We're going to have some folks pray with you. And they may talk with you and pray with you. Just pray with them. Church, I want to talk to you for a minute. I know a lot of us, man, we've been doing it. We've been going through the grind. We've accepted Jesus. But you know, honestly, we could be better. And I want to open up these altars. I know a lot of us, we could be better, man. We could be better in trusting God. We could be better in fearing Him, understanding His sovereignty. And we could be better at obeying Him. Or maybe you're sitting there and you know, you know, Pastor Rob, I honestly, you know, I do want the promises of God. And maybe you're thinking, you know, I, I, I know I could be better, but I want those promises. You need to contend for that. So I'm going to open up these altars. And I want to encourage you to come up and pray. As we sing songs, as we worship, I'm going to pray for some of you. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.